If you will remain with your Bibles turned to 1 John, uh, we're going to look at the passage that CJ read for us this morning. Before we uh, begin to look at the text this morning, I want to read a, a card uh, of thanks to the church and to those who specifically helped a specific family in our church. Um, this is from Bill and Peggy Holder. They wanted this read. It says, I wanted to thank, uh, excuse me, I wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you to everyone who helped us move on November 25th, the day after Thanksgiving, as most are still enjoying their Thanksgiving holiday. We had 15 men or women, excuse me, 15 men and women and children show up at 8 a.m. to help us move. Uh, Bill and I can't begin to express our gratitude, and all we could say is that God is good, and so is our church family. And so the holders wanted to thank those who came out. Um, on the day after Thanksgiving, and thank you for doing that, and uh, just uh, continue to be grateful for our church here, and just your caring and loving spirit and attitude toward each other, and uh, it's shown uh, not just in your words, but also in your deeds, and so thank you for that. Um, and that's what First John really deals with, doesn't it, right, is... Believers that are, are mere than just words and profession, but shows it by their deeds. And so John's been dealing with that. In fact, he's going to recycle that teaching and that thought and idea of, of loving one another and how that expresses if one is truly a child of God. And he's going to deal with that uh, even more throughout this text. But today he addresses belief, what we believe. And if you remember last week, we dealt with that a little bit, the, the the simple things that John calls us to believe in Christ and to love one another. And today he's going to deal with truth, to truth. What, what are we believing? Are we believing what is true? And we live in a day where you have to question whether what you are hearing or reading is, is true. It seems like um, even more so in, in today, with everything we read in here, we, we must examine it. Um, there is a phrase in our world today that has come up a lot recently, um, in especially the political realm, dealing with false uh, statements and what is true, and it's it's kind of a new uh, kind of it's a lingo in our day. And so, do you know what that is? It's it's what kind of news? Fake news, right? And so we uh, hear that, and so you, you you even see just in our world that the political conversation. Uh, with ethics and definitely spiritual conversations as well, um, the issues of truth colors it all. Um, and, and the Bible obviously deals with this in a great deal throughout it. Um, but I want to take you back to a time of Jesus before we look at the text today where he was literally about to go to the cross. And do you remember he was standing before Pilate and Pilate was questioning whether Jesus was a king. And you remember what Jesus said to him? He responded to Pilate saying this, that you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, Jesus says. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And so Jesus pronounces these words to Pilate, some significant words. That yes, I am a king, and that's why I came into this world and to testify to the truth. But remember what Pilate responded back to Jesus in some simple words in John 18, 38. He said to Jesus, what is truth? 
mockingly, no doubt, but ask the question, what is truth? You see, there's been an assault on truth that's nothing new in our day, but the search for truth versus what is false has been going on for a long time. The question of what is truth has been present through the ages. And so this morning, how do we know what's the spirit of truth and what's the spirit of error? That's what John really brings to light here and causes us to ask, how do we know the difference? What's this distinguishing factor? And so John gives us that this morning. He shows us how we can distinguish falsehood from truth. And so let's turn to John 4, verse 1 this morning, and begin there as we walk through these six verses. Just verse 5 verse, real simple this morning. But let's look at verse 1 in John 4. And John deals with the many spirits and asks the question, which ones are from God? And so look at verse 1, beloved. So he's talking to the church, those who are believers. He says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, some may read this and think, man, John, you're making a hard right turn with this kind of new topic that he's bringing up, and, and now he's dealing with these spirits. And so what's he talking about? Now, he's not really making too much of a hard right turn, because if you go back to chapter 3 and verse 24, do you remember what he was talking about? He was talking about the Holy Spirit. And we learned last week that the Holy Spirit uh, produces in the life of a believer, one, belief in Jesus Christ, and love for one another. Those are fruits of the Spirit. They're definitely present. So John was talking about that. And so then he moves on to tell us this morning, hey, listen, that the Holy Spirit is not the only Spirit present in the world today. And so you hear this idea of, of spirits. And some of us may, may automatically in our mind go to something like, woo, that kind of spirit. Like, you know, uh, that, that sometimes maybe we think around Halloween or stuff like that. It, some may go there. Um, but, but what does John have in mind? I think simply we can look at this text and kind of get an idea at the end of verse 1 where he says, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I think he's talking about different teachings, right? Um, different philosophies, uh, different religions in the day. There are many of them. But what he's saying is the Holy Spirit, all right, is from God. And that these other spirits are, are false and they've gone out into the world. So where are they from? Well, I think last week's text even helps us a little bit. If you go to John chapter 3, and Isabel taught on this as well, you remember why Jesus came. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. And so the devil himself has influenced, obviously, what is in the world today, these other spirits that are evil. They're directed by him to do his evil works here on the earth. And, and one of those evil works is to cause people to believe error so that they will not believe truth. And that's what the enemy wants to do. And so there, therefore, we have many thoughts and philosophies and religions and beliefs and teachings in our day. So that's what John has in mind here. And so he says here that some are from God, but there's also many false prophets that have gone out into the world. So what do we believe? Beginning of verse 1, he says, do not believe every spirit. That phrase, do not believe, that means this, do not be gullible. Do not be gullible. Don't just believe everything you hear. Don't be easily deceived about what you read, about what you listen to, about what others say. But what are we to do here? He says to test. That's a key word here. To test the spirits to see whether they are from God or 
Obviously not from God. What does test mean? Test means here to examine, right? And so it's this idea that there's many competing spirits out there. And what John is saying here is take critical, make critical examination of all these spirits to see what is genuinely the truth. So to examine. So how do we do that? How do we test? How do we examine? I was thinking this morning, I mean, this is significant for all of us. No matter where we are in our our walk with Jesus Christ, none of us can sit here and say, well, I've got this. I've got this in the bag. This is no problem. You know, this is significant for every day because we are constantly, whether it's online, social media, news that we're getting, and we get more news, we get more headlines coming before our eyes every day, every day. And so it's so significant to all of, all of us. But at, this morning, as I started thinking of, of some of our students here this morning, how significant it is of our children and, and our students, of all the different things they're having to deal with and combating with in our world, and the things they're hearing, and the information at their hands, and they are called upon to know, is this true or not? What is right and, and what is wrong? About what I'm hearing, about what somebody else is saying at school. We're in a day where many of us, some of the people that we hung out with and went to school with, some of these things were quiet issues that weren't maybe dealt with out front and voiced a lot of times, where today, most everything is free game. You can say whatever you want, and and, and it's, it's just accepted. And so, so significant this morning for all of us, but especially our students, whether middle school, high school, college age. The time where you're hearing some new things and some things that maybe had never been brought before you. And so how key it is that we test, that we examine. How do we know and what is the key factor, John says, whether it's from God or a false prophet, a teaching that's not from God. So he simply tells us. He makes it real simple for us here, right? Look at verse 2. He tells us the test. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And so what John is saying here is, here's how you can know if there is true spiritual life, if there's evidence of the Holy Spirit in one's life. That's one idea he has in mind here. And this is how you can identify if a teaching is from God or is the Spirit of truth. Here's how you can know. And so every spirit, he says, that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, this is essential. So really, it is a matter of what one believes about Jesus Christ, and specifically that he has come in the flesh. Now, we're going to unpack that a little bit, but I want you to think about Jesus for a second. What do we know about Jesus? It takes, obviously, a long time to unpack that, but, but Jesus Christ born 2,000 years ago in a dumpy rural town called Bethlehem. In fact, last night, I was thinking about this this morning, is last night my, my family and I and some friends, we went to um, this king, thing called Bethlehem Revisited, and real cool deal up in, in Waxahachie at Central Presbyterian Church, and man, you feel like you are literally for about two hours in Bethlehem, and it's really cool, uh, really cool. They do an amazing job. Um, and I was thinking last night, I was like, man, okay, so this, is, this would be kind of like the town that Jesus was, was, was born in, was born in. And amazing to think that. But he was born to a teenage girl 
probably 13 to 15 years old, conceived by a single mom. He had a daddy who was a blue-collar man named, named Joseph. And, and what did Joseph do? He swung a hammer, probably a carpenter, maybe also worked with rock as well. And he played with his two brothers. Think about that. Jesus, he played with James. He played with Jude. He had sisters as well, the scriptures tell us. He probably worked a job later with his dad as well. He probably had short hair, if you think about it. Sometimes we see him having long hair, but if you think about it, if he was swinging a hammer and working with tools like that, long hair probably got in the way, but that's just my tidbit there. Anyway, but um, that would totally ruin the picture books today. Anyway, at, at the age of 30, he began his public ministry, and we see that in Scripture. He would teach, he would heal, he performed miracles, and he would eventually, obviously, be killed for claiming to be God. He obviously never married, we see that. He never traveled but a few hundred miles from his house, but yet, he is the most extraordinary person in all of history. He is the most loved and the most hated in all of human history. He's the most widely considered person. He has had the most songs written about him, the most books written about him, the most paintings done of him. And even our calendar rotates around him. And there are a few billion people today that worship him as God. And so it's so significant what we believe about Jesus, and that's what John tells us here. What do we believe about him? Now, those facts I gave you are just mere facts, and we could believe them, but there's more to what John is saying here. There's more that he wants us to understand is essential to what we believe. And so there's two things we see in this statement in verse 2 that we must understand and we must hold as essential beliefs about Jesus. And they're key to the test of what is error and what is true. And so what are those two things that we find in the statement? So look at verse 2, just real closely. He says here that every spirit that confesses to Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. The first thing that we read from the statement is this about Jesus, that he pre-existed, right? He, he pre-existed before he came in the flesh. And what that speaks of to us today is about his nature, who he is. And so a couple things about that. One, Jesus is eternal. He's eternal. He's always been. In fact, John 1, 1 and 2 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God and was in the beginning with God. John uses this interesting word called Word. It's logos, which means a statement or a speech, and it, and it speaks of the, the spoken word of God, the expression or the manifestation of God. And so John had in mind here God when he's speaking of the word. And he was speaking of Jesus, that Jesus was the word. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was in the beginning with God. And so Jesus is eternal. He also shares, second point, he shares the Father's nature and essence. That's implied here, the fact that he's pre-existent and he was with God. So what that means is Jesus is not like God. Jesus is not close to God, but Jesus is God emphatically. And Paul talked about this in Philippians 2, 6, that Jesus shares the Father's nature. He's of the same substance. When he says, although he existed in the form of God, the same nature as God, Jesus did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped. And so Jesus shares the Father's nature and essence. He is God. 
But in that point as well, and this is a little more difficult to communicate this morning, but I want you to understand that Jesus is also distinct from the Father as well. An important fact. And the scripture makes clear that there is a clear distinction between the Father and the Son. They are distinct persons who exist in relation to each other. But we see this in the text. And think about in, in the Bible, how do we see this? We see that Jesus is baptism, right? Here we have Jesus physically being baptized here on earth and the Father expressing his affirmation of the Son from heaven. We see that. We see in John 17 where Jesus is in the garden. Who's he praying to? He's praying to the Father. So there's a clear distinction, obviously, between the persons of the Father and Jesus. But I want you to see something cool. Look at the text this morning. What do we see in the text? We see the Trinity, right? Look at verse 2 real quick. Just do a quick little quiz of yourself and ask yourself real quick, how do I see the triune God in just this verse? And you see it. You see God, which is referring to the Father. You see Jesus Christ. And then you see also, toward the end of verse, um, or, or excuse me, at the beginning of verse 2, you see Spirit and then Jesus Christ. And at the end, you see God, which is the Father. I was getting ahead of myself there. God, the Father. So you see the Trinity. And what I love about what Paul, John is saying here is he's saying that what we believe in is triune truth. It's what we believe in. Because you think about it, the Father has decreed what is true. Jesus has come. He is personified. He has come and shown and explained to us what is truth. In fact, he came and says, I am the truth. And then you think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come and revealed that. He has come and made it known to us this morning. And so they are distinct persons. And that's significant because there are some that believe along kind of the Gnostic thinking, and, and they will say that, no, the Father is not a person, right? And, and they will deny that, and then it gets just kind of weird about the Holy Spirit, but here we see the personhood, the distinct personhood of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that's significant. And so Jesus is distinct from the Father, even though they share the same nature. And then the fourth thing is this, that Jesus is the creator of everything. He's the creator of everything. John 1, 3 tells us that, how significant it is. All things came to being through Jesus, and apart from Jesus, nothing came into being apart from him. And then Colossians 1, 16, for by Jesus all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, everything, the apostle Paul says, was created through him and for him. And that's who Jesus is. And then lastly, fifth, I want you to hear this this morning. When Jesus was on earth, he showed himself to truly be God. In some amazing ways, he, he healed many people. But, but you remember on one occasion when four buddies came together and they had this friend of theirs who was a paralytic. And they took this paralytic to go see Jesus because they believed that Jesus could heal. Do you remember they tried to get in and they couldn't get in? The room was full that day. And so what they do, they go up on the roof. They get their buddy up on the roof and they lower him down to where Jesus is. And Jesus saw the faith of the four that day. And they said, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven as they look, he looks at this paralytic man. And he heals this guy. But it's amazing that day. You remember who was hanging around? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and and. They see this man healed, but what really gets under their skin is the fact that Jesus just told this guy, 
your sins are forgiven. Because what that means is Jesus was saying, I'm God. Because only God can forgive sins. And they called him out for blasphemy. And eventually that will lead to Jesus' death on the cross, right? And so Jesus shows that he is God because he is the only one who can forgive sins. And so this is a loaded statement. So the first point is this, that that Jesus is God and he preexisted before he takes on human flesh as God. And so he's always been. But what's the other side of the statement here? The second essential truth that we get from the statement of verse 2 is that we learn about Jesus is that he came in the flesh. And so let's unpack that a little bit this morning. Go back to a familiar text that we read this time of year um, in Luke chapter 1. Here we have the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. There in Nazareth. And here is Mary, virgin, engaged to Joseph to be married. And the angel greets Mary. And Mary is afraid, right? When an angel comes, right? We're, what's, gonna, we're, what's, what's our response going to be? We're pretty fearful, right? Like, what's up? And then look at verse 31. And behold, he tells Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God, who will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And I love what Mary says, because this is is what we're all wondering, right, at this point. How in the world can this be, right? She says, because I am a virgin. And then the angel says in verse 35, and here's the answer to that. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And so here we have the explanation of how this is going to work, how the Virgin Mary is now going to conceive Jesus is by the Holy Spirit, by the conception of the Holy Spirit. And so at the moment of conception, as we think about this idea of Jesus coming flesh, the moment of conception, right, Jesus becomes flesh. Because we know what happens in Luke 2, 7, right? It says that he was born, this child that was promised is now born. She gave birth to her firstborn, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's so significant as we talk about the fact that Jesus took on flesh, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that's when he took on flesh. Flesh, and he would experience a birth just like you and I. And so it's significant here is the physical conception of Jesus was the moment of the incarnation, not a moment of creation. And that's significant. Jesus did not come into being in Mary's womb. He merely clothed himself, the Bible says, in flesh. Eternal God became a baby, right, in a young girl's womb. And that's what Paul tells us in chapter 2 of Philippians. He says, although he existed in the form of God, preexistent always has been, he did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, and he took the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of man. And also significant as we think about the many spirits that are in the world today and how they handle this, the first one is this, that God became man, not the other way around. Because there are other spirits in the world that will say that, that Jesus, the man, became a God. 
i.e., that's, that's Mormonism. That's what they teach. They hold the idea of that. And they teach, too, that we can be gods as well. Why not? And inherit our own planet and rule it as well. But obviously, that's not the case. The case is here, as John is saying, that we believe that God became a man and took on flesh at the conception. That's what John 1.14 says, the word became flesh, he dwelt among us. And not only that, in John Wayne 18, it says, no one has seen God at only time, except that Jesus came and he came to explain the Father. There's also the other belief around this birth as well that is so significant. There's others as well, but when we think about believing the different spirits and making sure that we do not get deceived the one that also is in the world today as well is, is the idea of Mary and how we treat Mary. In fact, this was a conversation that came up in, in our house today because obviously these are things that are talked about, especially around this time of year and as people get um, at school and, and things and different beliefs are shared. But as we think about Jesus um, being conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin, sometimes there is focus put on Mary. Catholicism will teach this, that Mary was without sin and that she was this perpetual virgin. And so when you think about this, obviously these two things about Mary that they hold, Mary being sinless, obviously scripture says all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And so obviously quickly canceled out when we think about testing that truth that Jesus is the only perfect one who's ever lived. And when you think about Mary being this perpetual virgin, obviously that cannot be the case. But when you think about even just the historical truth that we have, that she also gave birth to, to James and to Jude and sisters as well, that obviously is not truth. And so that's just an example of how we must take the truth, the word of God, and every spirit and every teaching and philosophy must run through this truth that we have here, biblical truth. And so this is the test. And John says right here, whoever confesses this truth. But what does confession mean? Confession is just not mere words, right? It's not just saying, yeah, I, I hold to these facts. I hold to this intellectual truth, to this knowledge. No, it's, it's more than that. It's this heartfelt reverence for who Jesus is, that yes, he is God, and this conviction that yes, I am a sinner, and I am in need of him, and I gladly submit my life to Jesus as Romans 10 tells us, to confess that Jesus is Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. But this confession that he's Lord, I'm submitting to him. I have been forever changed and transformed by him and I submit my life to him. And that's what it means to confess. It's not just mere knowledge or words. But look what it says next in verse 3. Because what about those who do not confess? It says in verse three, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So back in verse two, if you don't believe this, what he's saying is you are not from God or that spirit is not from God. And so this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you heard that is coming now. It is also already in the world. Many of us, when we see that idea of Antichrist, we, we think immediately to end times. We think immediately of... Um, the book of Revelation, I'm, I'm sure things like that just go off in our head. And so scripture, obviously, and John addresses this in several places, the Antichrist is, is more than just a figure that's coming later. John wants us to understand that the Antichrist is a spirit that is in the world now. It's anything that is in opposition to Jesus. And he says it's not only coming, but it is now already here in the world. 
And so there's real just two things he's making a point here. And this is what I love about John. He's just real black and white. There's no gray area with him. Either you confess like verse uh, 2 tells us to do, one motivated by the Holy Spirit who confesses, confesses Jesus Christ, or you're false. You're of deceit. And you're believing the spirit of error. And so this is present in the world today, obviously these two confessions, one who confess Jesus and is from God, and the other who do not and is not from God. And so listen to what he says, those who are from God, who make this confession, who has been changed by Jesus Christ forever. Look what he says in verse four to them. He says, you are from God, little children, and overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You know, I love this verse right here. There's a couple reasons, but the first reason is just the first word. He says, you, you are from God. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is relational. Never for one minute get caught up in the Bible just being just some kind of academic book of facts, thoughts, something we just study and heard taught. No, the Bible is God's way of relating with you and I, of him speaking to us. It's, it's literally, as Paul tells Timothy, it's his breath, it's his words to us. It's as though we're sitting down over coffee. It's as though we're hanging out on the couch and he is just chatting with us and talking with us and we revere this. Yes, it's the word of God, but it's him relating to us. Sometimes it's, it's really easy just to think, okay, well, it's all about doctrine. It's all about theological statements. It's all about these. No, it's God relating to you and I. And so he's real personal here with the church in verse 4. He says, you are from God, little children. And so he wants us to know this. If, if you believe what verse 2 says, if you confess Jesus Christ who has come in the flesh, you are from God and you have overcome the spirits that are false, that are air. You've overcome the false prophets. Why, though? Why? And this is what I love, the second thing. He says, because greater is he, capital H, who is in you than he, lower H, who is in the world. And so what he's saying is, is, is church, you've overcome, not because of anything that you've done, right? So this isn't pat on the back time. This is get up and rejoice and praise time to who? God, and specifically the Holy Spirit. He's saying, greater is the Holy Spirit who is in you than he who is in the world. And obviously, he who is in the world is the spirit of air, i.e. the spirit of Satan. And so I love what he says right here. He encourages the church. You've overcome the temptations to doubt, to deny, to disregard, to disobey the word. He, he's not saying here there hadn't been temptations, but you have overcome. You have conquered these false beliefs. And all credit goes to the Holy Spirit. Now think about this for a second. Nothing on earth is more powerful than the Holy Spirit flowing through the faith of a born-again disciple of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more powerful in this world. It is the greatest superpower, excuse me, superpower available to anywhere, to anyone at any time. Through faith, Jesus tells us nothing is impossible. And so when a Christian is full of the Spirit-empowered faith, he cannot stop and cannot be stopped speaking about what he has seen and heard, Acts 4. And not even death can silence him, is what the Bible 
says. But there's one thing this implies to you and I, and we must be on guard because there's one vulnerability to this, right, is unbelief, all right? We're all vulnerable to that unbelief. It weakens us. It can destroy us, and Satan knows this very well. It's his one weapon is to try to get us to to not believe, to get off track from what we hold dear and essential and to believe something that's false. That's what weakens us. But he says, greater is he in you than he is who in the world. And they look at the last two verses together. He talks about those from the world, what they say, and what those of God say, and how we should listen. Look at verse five. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. And so he's talking about the false prophets And then he says, but we are from God, and he who knows God listens to us, and he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so what does he say here? Hey, these who are of the world, remember what the world is. Remember back in John 2, 15 through 17, the world is that that system that is in opposition to God. And that's what he has, this idea of world. They, they, they don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. They, they're anti-Bible. They're anti-God. But he says right here, they are from the world. And therefore, they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. What's interesting about this, if you go back up to verse 3, look at the beginning of verse 3 again. He says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God is the spirit of the Antichrist. Think about these, as you think about verse five, those who come and speak, and they're those who are from the world. What are they doing? He says that they do not confess Jesus. What happens many times is false prophets or false teachers, even in our day, what they will do is they won't necessarily come out and deny these essential truths. You're not gonna necessarily hear um, someone on TV who's preaching that uh, prosperity gospel or something along the lines of that, or anything like that, come out and just simply teach on how they don't believe you know, that, that Jesus did not come in the flesh. I mean, you're not going to hear this denial yes, necessarily. But what John says here, and I think this is, is significant, is he says they're not, gonna, um, they're not going to confess. It says, um, every spirit that does not confess Jesus. And so what they're going to do is they're going to basically teach around it. They're, they're going to teach around the essential truths and not necessarily just come out and deny it, but they won't cover the essential things and they'll teach other things that sound good to people because what happens, these who are from the world and are speaking as from the world, um, they're going to come and, 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 and teach things that sh- they share in viewpoint with people of the world, things that people like to hear. And we see that in many ways today. But lastly, he says, we're from God. And he who knows God listens to us. And so John is saying here, hey, me and other eyewitnesses, all the faithful, we confess Jesus Christ has come from God, that he has come in the flesh. And those who know God, they listen to that truth. But those who do not, they don't listen. And so what John is saying here is, hey, listen. Listen, listen, listen. Listen carefully. And as you listen, What he says in verse one, test, examine. 
Is what you're hearing, whether it's through the TV, whether it's online, what you're reading, is it from God? And John says, those who confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh, they are from God. They agree with what John says, what the apostles says. And so listen to them and gladly humble yourself under that truth, accept it, and submit to it. And so how do we respond today? I think real simply as we look at this text. Believers, let us first be thankful. Let us be thankful to the Spirit of God who has revealed this truth to us. Because this isn't something we just woke up one day and it's like the light bulb came on. It's, it's, it's not that. It is revealed truth from the Holy Spirit that has changed our life. And so be thankful to the Holy Spirit. And then second, let us be on guard that we would not fall into unbelief. Let us be on guard. And so John's going to come up and as he does, before we pray, I, maybe you're in here today and and you could say, hey, I don't believe in Christ. I, maybe you're not in opposition to this, but maybe you have just not to that point where you have submitted your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't come to him and confessed that, yes, I am, I'm a sinner in need of you, Jesus, to, to save me and to forgive me of my sins. And maybe you have not got to that that point yet and you're here today and and you hear this word and you're maybe you're like hey listen i'm i believe that but i have not submitted my life to jesus i, I want to encourage you today to admit your need of him and even maybe this time just just pray lord open my eyes open my heart my ears to the gospel and then whatever hardness is in your heart this morning, that you would say, Lord, can you take that away? And maybe just right there, just take some time and, and just tell the Father that you believe in his Son. And to confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, to believe in him to, to forgive you of your sins this morning. That's what he calls us to do. And so church, let's pray. Let's pray for ourselves. Prayers of thanksgiving for the spirit that we would not fall, but also that others may have this truth revealed.